I'll let the listeners know. Oh. If they, if they can't tell from our, uh, you know, from, from our, our audibleness, we both got face tattoos. <laughs> and they're so loud, you can hear it on the... No. We, we're both a little under the weather. Yeah, so this is not audio trickery. My usual dreamy, Barry White-esque baritone is no doubt a raspy Tina Turner soprano. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, can, I can pitch you down in post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome, so, this is X-Rated. Uh, I'm Ryan Whedon. Uh, and I'm Matt Fisher. And, and we talk about movies. We talk about movies. Uh, our origin story is that uh, we dated for about three weeks, nine years ago. Nine years ago. Uh, well, this is this is like our, our we should I should have mentioned this in the first episode. So this is like our, our prequel. Okay. This is our Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh, uh, oh no. <laughs> I remember the exact day that we broke up, not because like it was like etched in my mind, uh-huh. but because like I was depressed and had to get out of the house. So I went up to uh, a coffee shop with Wi-Fi with my laptop, mm-hmm. and I got a Facebook account for the first time. Like, I didn't have one before that, and I just needed, like, a distraction. Uh-huh. So I went out, and so, like, the first friends that I have on Facebook, whenever I see an alert, they're like, oh, you've been friends for nine years. It's like, that was the day. That was it. <laughs> How funny. Yeah, because that, uh, that was still the MySpace era. Yeah. When we started dating. Yeah, that's right. Jeez. Jeez. (laughs) I was thinking the other day, I don't really remember how MySpace worked. You know? Like, I remember posting, post, there's like a a bulletin board, you post a bulletin, but then I remember people like responding to it somehow. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how, if it was like a comment thread or something. Yeah, or if it just sent you a message when they wrote on it, or what? The thing that... I remember hating about MySpace is that, A, everyone could, like, customize their own backgrounds, Uh and everyone chose, like, stupid, like, paisley patterns that, like, with, like, neon green text on it. It was, like, a GeoCities website or something. And then that you could have a song. Like, when people visited your page, there could be a song. That would automatically play. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're already listening to something else, you had someone else's shitty taste in music, like... Suddenly. Yeah. So it wasn't so much that you hated those things about MySpace, just people's taste. Well, I also didn't like how it, like, it made you rank friends. Like, you had your top eight. Oh, that's right, yeah. And, like, it was always, like, <laughs> drama if you switched it around. <laughs> that's right, gosh. Why did he do that? I don't know. Like, that's I, kind of mean. I feel like it's just asking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, yeah, you're ranking your closest friends. It's like that episode of Seinfeld where he's dating that chick from Gilmore Girls, uh-huh. and she, like, moves him up on his on her speed dial after a good date, uh-huh. and then, like, bumps him down after a bad date. <laughs> so he, like, goes all out and, like, wows her, because he's more interested in, like, the game than the girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, he gets to number one, and, like, her stepmother is, like, super competitive. She's like, I worked for years to get that top <laughs> So, yeah, sort of like that, but That's I don't really, know if I've caught I'm, to get people competing for my number one spot on MySpace. Yeah, I'm wondering if I if I actually hurt anybody's feelings now. Yeah. Because they thought that we were better friends than I did, I guess, according to where I placed them in my MySpace friend group. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. If anybody's listening who was my <laughs> friend ten years ago, and you're really hurt that I did not put you in my top eight, please let me know. Nicely. Uh, I also learned a hard lesson from MySpace. Oh, yeah, what's that? That things that, like, go on the internet or into the cloud are not necessarily permanent. Yeah. Uh-huh. When I went Usually to, like... people say the other way around. Well, when I went to, like, go find some old pictures, like, this is, like, when Napster or whatever had bought out MySpace, mm-hmm. and, like, there was, like, four pictures left of, like, the hundreds that I had uploaded. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it really sucked. Like, <laughs> I kind of, like, uploaded them as, like... That way I didn't have to keep them on a hard drive or, like, you know, anything like that. And then, yeah, when I went to go retrieve them, they were all gone. Yeah. So, yeah, fuck you, MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing lasts forever. I guess not. Apparently. Oh, okay. I watched a movie this weekend that um, is totally worth watching. Um, oh, okay. High Rise. Have you seen this? No. Uh, Tom, oh, God, I'm going to mess up his name. Hiddleston? He's the yeah. um, Loki yeah. dude. He stars in it. Um, it's based on a J.G. Ballard novel. 
Um, and it just like, it basically, it takes place in this one building um, and it's like the class structure of the building is associated with the floors of the building. So okay. like Snowpiercer except in a building? Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> That's, I made that, I, I was thinking that same thing. Um, I like my allegories super literate, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> it's pretty, a little ham-fisted at some points, and it, it could use some editing, I felt. It felt a little bloated. But um, overall, it was a good flick. Lots of okay. naked Hiddleston, if you're into that. Um, He's got a nice nice rear, mm-hmm. like, from from few things that I've uh, scavenged online. Yeah, he's not afraid to, to show it off. Yeah? Which is great. You get full frontal, too? No, but there is, like, a, a shot of so him taking what? a shower from the oh. top. So you kind of see a top-down view. Okay. But not really. Not a full money shot. Mm-mm, okay. No. You have to really pause it at the right moment if you wanted to see anything. It's like Ben Affleck and Gone Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Which is, you know, it's worth it. Yeah, it's there. I mean, <laughs> someone's probably made a gif of it already, so. <laughs> I like how you say gif. Yeah, that's the proper pronunciation. You know, I like, I agree with you. I also say gif, but like, there's a strong, full-throated backlash. I mean, I was a gift man for the longest time because it's it's clearly that's the way it looks yeah. to me. But um, once the guy who invented it came out and said it's a gif, I just decided, well, you win. <laughs> it's your thing. We'll call it what you want. So when you watch Young Frankenstein, you yell at the guy, it's Frankenstein! Frankenstein! <laughs> oh, man. That's a great movie. That's a That really, really holds up. It, it it really truly like, I watched it in September. Uh-huh. I watched all the Mel Brooks films. Not a hidden gem in that catalog. Like <laughs> the famous ones are famous for a reason, and the not famous ones are rightly forgotten. <laughs> um, but I when I watch Young Frankenstein, like there's like the song and dance number at the end. Yeah. Like I like I feel almost uncomfortable. Like they're making fun of like mentally handicapped people. <laughs> Maybe. Like just like a pinch of it. It's still really funny though. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still laughing. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm sick mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, my, my body is, is, is rancid, but my mind is sharp. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking about this earlier. I, I was thinking, I was like, no, I can still do this today. Like my mind's like a cat, mm-hmm. uh, which reminded me of Tobias Funke saying like, he, he's I'm like a cat always on all fours. Uh. <laughs> And I, uh, I thought of a good, uh, discussion topic. Oh, okay. Uh, when do gay jokes cease being funny and become offensive? Oh, yeah. Like, there's a lot of gay jokes in Arrested Development. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know anyone who's ever actually been, like, offended by it. Mm Mm-mm. That's funny because, um, there's also a lot of, uh, I think about this sometimes, there's a lot of racial stuff Mm -hmm. on Arrested Development, too, Mm -hmm. that... I always laughed at, but I never realized that, oh, this could actually be offensive to somebody. Or is that show just, like, just transcends that whole thing? I'm not yeah, sure. I don't know. Like, you know, I laugh at all the gay jokes in Arrested Development and, like, the racial jokes. And, like, in 30 Rock, too, there's a lot of racial jokes in that. Yeah. Um, and I still laugh at it. And, like, they almost, like, normalize it a little bit. Like, yeah, some people are racist. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was just thinking about that earlier today. I was like, huh. I wonder why, like, that's funny to me. I don't know where that line is for me. Yeah, it really, um, it's probably pretty far. <laughs> I ha- And it has to feel, it has to feel malicious somehow, you know? Yeah, I guess, like, sort of Tobias is the butt of the joke, because, like, he's the only one who doesn't realize it. Right. Uh, and that if they were making fun of him for being gay, like... That'd be one thing, but it's like he's the only one out of the loop on it. Yeah, he just doesn't. So I guess it's more of his cluelessness that, that we're laughing. laughing at. Yeah, less um, so than uh, than they're making fun of gay people. Yeah, because yeah, no one's really judgmental about it. I guess. Yeah, they they still love him. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was just thinking about that. Earlier. That's a good. That's a good question. Um, that I have no answer to, unfortunately. Yeah, I heard an interview with, like, the guys from The Onion once. Mm-hmm. Like, the two, like, editors-in-chiefs or something. And, like, someone asked, like, you guys make some, like, pretty racy jokes sometimes. Like, where do you draw the line? And they said that, like, if the butt of the joke is not, like, deserving of our ire in any way, then we just don't think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the butt of the joke always has to, like, be asking for it in some way. So... 
And they're really great. I don't. Has there ever been an Onion article that they've that they've gone back on and said, "Oh, we're really sorry about that." I don't think so. I don't ever remember reading about that either. Like there was the one about uh, the Redskins coach where they call him all these like Jewish. That one is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought like I was like we will oh, not be God. repeating any <laughs> yeah. of that on this podcast, but it's it's good. You should check it out. <laughs> I, I thought for certain that like that was gonna like cause an uproar, but like no one really seemed too upset by it. No one batted an eye. You want to talk about the sweet hair after? I do want to talk about the sweet hair after. I don't. I, really? <laughs> no, I do. I do. This movie just, it's a bummer. I was going to say, I guess this would be the time that we introduce our listeners, uh, <laughs> that I really like bummer movies. <laughs> God. Uh, you know, I loved Mysterious Skin when I was like an immature teenager, because, you know, it reflected my fiery passions. And, uh-huh. Uh, like, the movies that like I kind of cut my teeth on were like... The interpersonal dramas of Ingmar Bergman and things like that. Oh man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of grown out of it just because there's so many bad ones. Like right. drama done bad is like the most intolerable, like anti-cinematic yeah. thing imaginable. So, it's like it feels like a high school play or something. Yeah, it's all just like melodrama. Yeah, and you're like, embarrassed for everybody involved. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the sweet hereafter, uh, it's about a small Canadian town, sort of grappling with like the new reality uh, after a school bus careens into a uh, frozen lake and sinks. Uh, the only survivors are the bus driver and one uh, girl played by Sarah Poli. Uh, her character's name is Nicole, um, and she's crippled because of it. Like she's paralyzed mm-hmm. from the waist down, uh, and all the other children, you know passed away like you know under the frozen water Ugh. and yeah it's it, it's a it's a it's not the chipperest of movies <laughs> i ha- i had to look up when it was over i was like how did they market this movie because it was a flop it was not a box office success that's yeah. true but i mean like how are you ever gonna sell it i mean like hey let's go see that movie where the school bus crashes and all the children die. <laughs> yeah. I just need to make sure I can feel something again. You now, know? Like, I know I would be first in line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, you should check out the trailer, though. It's really funny. They never mentioned the school bus crash, actually. It's oh, really? Just like, yeah, they're like, in a town where everyone knows each other, something will change them. Um, it's real 90s. It's real, it's real funny. I mean, there's a lot of really 90s things, like Sarah Polly's Polly? Polly? Polly, I think, Polly? yeah. Okay. Her character is like singing that like Jane Cyber oh, song my at the God. beginning. The I, I had trouble I had trouble with the songs and I, I watching it this time through again reminded me that that's like the one thing about this movie that takes me out. Oh yeah, it like when it they, really dates it for one. Yeah, thing. that's it the only really thing. dates it. Uh, and then there's like a tragically hip song that they use. Yeah. And it's like, boy, if like if I had to like throw a dart at like nineties bands, <laughs> like, one of those two would probably be hits. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's the only part about this movie that really that that bothers me in that way that that I just, yeah. like, I just come immediately out and I'm like this is '97 yeah. speaking to me yeah you know? yeah everything else doesn't seem to have aged or or doesn't seem aged I should say like right everything else seems fairly timeless but yeah there's like two songs that are like Ugh. are shoehorned <laughs> that, and yeah, actually just so '90s she worked apparently Sarah Polly worked with the guy who was doing the soundtrack and they like made those songs uh-huh. together and that's actually her singing them yeah so. yeah that that I knew um, all that wasted talent I know. but I love Sarah Polly by the way big fan yeah I do too. Did you see the documentary that she did about her dad? I did. I forgot to look up the name of it. Yeah, I can't remember either. It was good. It was good. Yeah. I actually really liked the two other dramas she did, too. Uh, Take This Waltz and um, Away From Her. Is that right? Um, that was her first. That was her directorial debut. Oh, it was? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Away From Her, 2006. Yeah, it stars somebody famous, too. Julie Christie. Julie Christie. Oh, okay. There we go. I have not seen that movie. <sighs> well, but... We're talking about this other movie. We're talking about this week hereafter. So, like, you know, I saw this movie a while back, and I'd always liked it, and I'd been feeling the need to rewatch it recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a certain day in November where 
a bunch of people were feeling despondent afterwards. <laughs> um, in fact, one of the other podcasts that I listened to, the West Wing Weekly, mm-hmm. they like in like the episode that came out after the election, uh-huh. they had like recorded it like the day before, uh, but hadn't released it for like the next like five or six days or something. Right. Um, and like they had like the intro music going, and it just slows down. And they talked about how like on election night, they talked about not continuing the podcast. Like, oh my they gosh. They had just this, like, existential crisis of, like, nothing matters. Why are we doing this, like, <laughs> flimsy little podcast? Like, it's so much more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. And they said that they're feeling better now and they, they will continue. But, like, <laughs> there was, like, a, like, 48-hour period where they're just like, fuck it. Like, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> uh, and I remember, I don't know if it was you that I texted, but I remember, like, I, like, got out of town for a couple of days just because I wanted to, like, shake up my normal routine. Mm-hmm. And, like, I I texted someone that, like, I was having trouble, like, finding relevance in my day-to-day activities. Um, and I think that's kind of what made me, like, get the urge to really rewatch this. Okay. Because that's what the characters are doing. Like, they're... The movie is really about, like the survivor's grief. It's not necessarily about the tragedy. It's like an exploration of their grief. Right. And the forms that it's taking and like how they're like trying to like get on with their day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, that it, for some reason, like when I was watching it, uh, it kind of kicked that into gear for me. I was like, Oh, maybe that's why I was like drawn to this at this time. Um, Just cause yeah, it, it really strays away from melodrama. It's like, there's not a lot of like, yelling there's not a lot of like big monologues there's not you know stuff like that yeah uh it really just kind of focuses on like small character developments like Mm -hmm. as the movie goes um i also love the way that it's like the non-linear storyline of it i like that a lot too you know it doesn't start and end with the bus crashing like that's like thrown in like that happens in like yeah the middle of the movie yeah you see it i also love how those scenes were shot like the roving camera, like, behind the school bus, and, like, the way that it would just sort of, like, swing, like, in other directions. Yeah. I thought that, like, they captured, like, that snow-covered town so beautifully. I was thinking with those aerial shots, it kind of felt like, um, I don't know if you want to go there, but, like, the hand of God or something, like, looking down on this bus, and then, like, you know, kind of ushering it off the edge or something like that, because I don't think we have any more aerial shots after that. Yeah, I don't think so. Um... And and just while we're talking about it, did they sink a bus? I mean, that that's looks, what it looks like. It looks like they really drove that bus onto the lake and then it goes in because it's all one shot. Yeah, yeah. It, it. I mean, I mean, it doesn't look CG. It doesn't look like it's some yeah like other bus. Yeah, I don't know how they or, if, or like a tiny one somewhere. You know that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see anything because like I looked up like the IMDb trivia and I didn't mention. I tried to find that too. I wonder if it'll come out on like a special feature somewhere. But yeah, uh, but. Yeah, I don't, this one, like, it's been such a long time since I've really, like, liked an interpersonal drama. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so, yeah, when I watched this, I was like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> uh, it's okay. a, it's, yeah, it's a great movie. It's, a, there, there isn't a, a bright spot in it, though. Did you, did, no. did you feel that way? Like, I really feel like this movie starts low and stays down there. Yeah. You know? It never, and it doesn't even really offer any kind of relief at the end, either. And, and this is not a, a, criticism like sometimes you need that and especially if you're talking about grief because that's how grief feels when you're in the middle of it you know is that it'll never get better yeah um and so you know maybe that's like that's one of the statements this film is doing but it's like it's i I couldn't even imagine injecting any levity into this into this yeah there's not like a joke or anything like that Mm -mm. or any sort of like you know uh uh sort of icebreaker or whatever you want to call it something to to you know, breathe some life into it. it. It it really is just sort of dour from start to finish. Like yeah. the movie starts with like Ian Holm in that car wash, uh, and I love the way that shot is framed. Like you can see his eyes unmoving in the rearview mirror, mm-hmm. and then you have like all the stuff moving in the car wash. Right. I don't know. I thought that was like a great little composition there. And then he has like his first conversation with his daughter, and that was rough. Right. Yeah. That's just how he he just plops you in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's like, oh, I don't know, it felt so bad every time I talked to his daughter. Like, he was so cold. Yeah. Uh, but, but rightfully like, so. Yeah. I mean, after a while, you just gotta say, I can't help you. And I think that's a really great 
character motivation for him because we're talking about, you know, he's, he's, here's somebody who's trying to get, you know, compensation for these families, um, for their children who've, who've died. Yeah. Um, while he has a child of his own that is more or less dead, dead. to him. Yeah. yeah. Cause she's just, she's awful. I mean, she's an addict, yeah. but it's like, that's no excuse. Yeah. But like, she's super manipulative and yeah, you know, and calls him for money. And, uh-huh. um, yeah. Uh, so like the first couple shots, like there's this scene with Ian Holm and he's like talking to his daughter. And then pretty quickly after that is like, we see Sarah Polly. Polly? I think it's Polly. <laughs> Chronicling my inability to pronounce people's names. Um, and I was, I watched this with someone and so there's a scene of like her at the fair singing the Jane Syberry song. Right. And then like her dad is watching. Right. And like after she gets off the stage, she talks about like, oh, I'm going to make you this stage. It's going to be all lit in candles and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, thanks dad. And uh, the person I was watching me goes, dad. Yeah. No, daddy. Daddy. He yeah. Goes, Daddy's like. I thought that was just, like, her older boyfriend. <laughs> he's, like, by the way that, like, he was, like, looking at her on the stage, he's, like... I know. I thought that was her boyfriend. It goes dark. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I thought that was, like, a really, like... If he thought that by watching it, and then as the movie goes, you find out that they're incestuous. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, like, it, it makes a lot of sense then. Like, that was definitely, like, a planned effect. Yeah. Well, and also just, if you notice, just because we're still talking about this this part of the movie, uh, you know, Ian Holmes' daughter calls him daddy, says the oh. word daddy over and over and over again. Yeah. And yeah. so I noticed that, and then when she says it, it just, like, that word pops, you know, like your brain's ready to hear that, I guess. I mean, they drew a lot of parallels between, like, the two daughters. Mm-hmm. Like, the last phone call that Ian Holm gets, I think it's the last one where she's, like, I'm positive. Right. Um... And he's like, do you have a blood test? And, you know, stuff like that. And she goes, why don't you believe me? I'm positive. I'm positive. Right. Um, and then when Sarah Paul is at, like, the deposition, and they're like, are you sure about the speed of the bus? And she goes, I'm positive. Yeah. Uh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, so, like, they... It's a good writing. Yeah, like, they drew, like, I thought, nice little parallels between, like, the two daughters uh, to a fucking with their fathers. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell that, that Ian Holmes' character, Michael Stevens, oh. Mitchell Stevens, yeah, he is really like not motivated by money. Like you can tell that like he is angry, yeah, and like his motivation is like he wants someone to pay for this, like right. not just like Dolores, like the school bus driver. Like he's like, no, someone has to like lose something themselves because of this, right? Um, yeah, he just doesn't seem motivated by money. Like he's he's really doing it out of, like, anger and frustration. Like, he tells, like, the autos, uh, like, the, the hippie family, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's like, you know, I, I, I will be your voice in anger, but not in grief. Right. Uh, I wrote that one down. Yeah. Um, and, like, he gets, like, really kind of short with the townspeople in some scenes, too. Like, right. There's that scene with Dolores, and, like, I like that the scene how it was, like, framed. It's, like, you know, Dolores is on one side of the frame, mm-hmm. and Ian Holm is sort of, like, off sitting in a chair, and the camera kind of pans back and forth, like, between the talking. Right. And Ian Holm gets up, and, like, between them is her husband who had the stroke. Right. And, like, they come closer and closer together, and then the moment that her husband starts talking, it's like they kind of take a step back out of frame, and the camera, like, zooms in. Right. On him, and suddenly, like, it's about him. Like, the scene is, like, his scene. Right. Uh, I don't know. It was just, like, a very subtle, like sort of long take that I thought was very good, but, like, he was getting short with her, like, he was getting angry that, like, she wasn't trying to clear her own name. Right, and he's like, I need to do this for my, for this suit to work. You yeah. need to play ball with me here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was, that, uh, I just wanted to say, I remember the thing I wanted to say before, real fast. Um, the, um, he, he talks about when he's talking about his daughter and has to take her to the hospital with the, um, oh, yeah. the Black Widow bite, he, he says... The doctor says, you know, which one is she more calm with? And he's, you know, he says, well, like, we were both, you know, freaking out and crazy, but I was the better actor. Yeah. Um, And so the line that Sarah Polly has at her deposition where he says, you'd make a great poker player kid or something like that, um, really speaks to the acting, which is like, 
kind of what you have to do when you're going through grief, you know? You just yeah. kind of have to pull yourself together and find a way to move forward. Yeah. Or, like, at least put up appearances that you're that you're okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Something like, yeah, you're a good... Or you make a hell of a poker player. Yeah, something like that. I, I Just while, while I'm thinking about it, I didn't think about this until now, but, like, just grief in general yeah. is a really good... Um, scene in Rabbit Hole. I don't know if you saw that movie. I saw that in theaters, like, a long, long time ago, but yeah. I just love the description that Diane Weist says, where it's like, um, she says something like, grief is like a big stone, and you get crushed underneath it, and then slowly that stone gets smaller and smaller, until the point where you can just put it in your pocket, oh. and then it never goes away, and so sometimes you'll just, you know, be going about your day, and then you put your hand in the pocket and see it's still there. It'll always be there. Yeah. Um, That's pretty accurate, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, the, the small town in this, I thought, was, like, the perfect small town, because it's, like, A, it's cold, which I think kind of, you know, fits, like, the grief. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone's sort of physically isolated from one another, because mm -hmm. of the snow, like, it's a trek to get to someone else's house. Right. Uh, which I think kind of fits, like, the mood, like, people are isolated from one another. You don't see too many of the families interacting with each other. It's mostly Ian Holm going between the families. Yeah, like, good point. There is, like, Billy Ansel, and he, he goes over to uh, the one family's house. Uh, Nicole Walkers, is that their name? I think so. Um, but, like, other than that, you don't see too much. In, like, Billy Ansel kind of goes between them, and he's having the affair with, like, the motel owner's wife. Mm -hmm. um, that might have to do with the structure of the book, because apparently the book is told linearly but it's just like the lawyer going to each each chapter is just like a different story a different family telling their side of the story kind of oh, situation okay. um so that might have something to do with oh okay the way that the movie got structured yeah i i want to like read the books that like i don't know how the director atom egoan mm -hmm, that's i think that's right um i don't know how he saw a movie in this material yeah like <laughs> i wouldn't like if I was just reading the script, I wouldn't see how to, like, do something with it, but... Yeah. I thought he did a great job of making it, like, you know, dynamic and... Agreed, know, yeah. Visually interesting and... Well, and, like, just the thought of wanting to spend that much time with this material is really yeah. scary to me. Like, I would... That's a brave and difficult choice that I probably wouldn't make. I, I, I did do some reading, and he said, apparently, uh, let's see... Film is for confronting the most extreme things mm. in his mind, and mm. uh, so you know he probably read this book and was like, "Oh yeah, this is extreme. <laughs> this is extreme enough for film." I wish he'd apply that to his other movies. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I looked up the list of things he's done. I haven't seen any of them. Um, he must really stick in Canada. He did one called like Exotica, right? That was the one just before this one. Yeah. And that one's pretty good. It's sort of it's just like this mood experiment. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminds me of like the club scene in Mulholland Drive. Oh, like, weird. Yeah, like not like one hundred percent, but I think they were going for the same type of mood. Except he was trying to do it like for the whole film. Ah, um, and it's really different. Like that one's like experiments with color mm -hmm. and like that one. If I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've seen it. You know, very loose plot. Like, it's not, it's not a movie about the plot. It's, right. like, about, like, the feelings. Um, but on that, I saw one of his other movies called, like, Remember. And it's about... It has Christopher Plummer in it, and he's an Auschwitz survivor. You know, it's not a chill yeah. one. This uh, is just where he goes. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it has a twist ending, and it's just, like, the cheapest Shyamalan <laughs> twist. Boo! Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't know, like, it's the, this is the only movie of his that, like, I've ever, like, really latched onto. Mm -hmm. Like, Exotica is definitely, like, a fine film, but uh, I don't know if it, you know, inspired the emotions that he was aiming for, for me at least. Yeah. But yeah, that one's definitely more of, like, this moody, sort of strange thing. Yeah. Uh, this film is really moody, though, I would say. This film is really moody, but it, it's, it's different. Like, this is, I think it has a slightly more literal yeah. mood to it. I liked, I was, I read, some critic said that it, uh, this uh, movie has healthy ambiguity. Yeah. And I like, I think that's a good way to describe it. There's no answers in this movie. No. You don't get, you don't get any, 
You know, nothing gets tied up nice and put in a bow. I mean, even, like, the way the movie ends, it's just, like, the day before the accident. Like, right. That's where it ends. Um, one thing I noticed, that there, there was sort of, like, this, like, recurring motif of, like, light coming in, like, in the car wash in the beginning. Okay. Like, the scene ends as, like, the wipers or whatever the things kind of, like, sway to one side and you get like a big blast of sunlight right and there's like a scene when like the camera's following the bus up the mountain and it kind of like pans up to the sky okay and gives you bright and the movie ends it's nighttime and sarah polly's character goes to the window it's before the accident so she can still walk Mm -hmm. and she looks out the window and it's nighttime and the outside just goes all white right so like yeah there's like the recurring theme of like brightness I don't know what it signifies, but... Yeah, I mean, you could go several ways, like, you know, uh, you know, when people pass away, they say that, or they have near-death experiences, they're, like, going towards the light. Yeah. Um, also, you could probably interpret that as, like, finally breaking through grief is, like, sure. finally stepping into the light, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't think about that. I did question that ending, though, a lot. Yeah, it was just, it was a weird... I, and, like, weird has negative connotations to it. It was just an unusual spot to, like, end the film. Yeah, because just before that, too, there's that gorgeous shot of Sarah probably at the um, amusement amusement park, and there's, like, the weird parachute thing spinning, yeah. and then they slowly just disappear out of frame, and you just see the sky, yeah. which could, you know, be interpreted as, like, going up to heaven or whatever you want to say. Yeah. But, like, um, that seems like an ender yeah. shot for me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he goes that next step and takes it back into the house, maybe because she survived. I don't know. yeah. Maybe he just wanted to, like, bring it back to, like, the Pied Piper theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, that poem seems really kind of dark. Like, I remember, <laughs> like, the story being dark, but, like, it seems, like, a little too dark to read to children. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe it's because I don't have any kids and I don't know the actual sensibilities of children. But I feel like it's, like, sad. Like, the, the I mean, even, like, the tale of it is, like, the lame child who survived, yeah. who couldn't dance their way to the mountain, <laughs> is sad. Like, and has to live by himself has with no to children. Live by himself, yeah, with no peers for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Did you know. ever see the Disney um, Pied Piper? No. Cartoon. It's just a short little silly symphony thing. Hmm. Um, and at the very end, it looks like the kid who's on the crutches isn't going to get let in, but then at the last minute, the Pied Piper opens the the. Uh, rock again and the kid he like ushers the kid in and the kid can run free without his crutches and he like breaks the crutches on his knee and throws it out it's like happy ending that's not the bummer ending I, I know <laughs> so way to ruin a Disney I know they've always got to make it happy <laughs> yeah I guess uh, family friendly is sort of their thing yeah um, this reinforces my sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for I guess fear of small towns. <laughs> uh, I don't care for small towns. Yeah. I don't I, like everyone knowing what I'm doing all the time. It's not like every small town. Like, some small towns are vibrant and joyful. Sure. Uh, but, like, yeah, I can just, like, feel the boredom in towns like that. Yeah. And this is, like, you know, there was the spread eagle in this town. <laughs> Classiest name a bar has ever gotten. I, I noticed that, too. But it was the... <laughs> only bar in that town. Like, that's how small it is. Like, they had a bar. Yeah. Um, and everyone seemed to kind of hate each other. <laughs> like, the first family that he goes to, like, the motel owners, like, have nothing good to say. Yeah. About anyone else in town. Uh, and I, even, like, Dolores, who, like, really was, like, sweet and, like, really didn't say anything bad about anyone. She was talking about the autos and, like, well, they... They contribute to school fundraisers, and that they're at every PTA meeting, but they're not churchgoers. Yeah, <laughs> like that they they couldn't be model citizens because they weren't churchgoers. Right. I'm like, oh my god, I could never survive in a small town. <laughs> I wonder. So while we're talking about Dolores, uh, I'm wondering um, how she got a job again, driving a bus. Uh, because very very little. What's that? They pay her very very little. Oh, probably. Uh, I mean, that's a big thing with, like, truck drivers. Mm. You can get truck drivers on the cheap, like, outside of Union, if they have, like, a DUI or something like that. So, if you're running your own independent freight company, uh, yeah, you can hire those people on the cheap. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't the, like, that was another thing, it's like, 
that was like a scene like it probably didn't even need to be there but it's just a reminder that it's like life does go on but like and nobody wins and nobody <laughs> yeah. and everybody's scarred from this yeah. situation you know i mean yeah like very physical real literal scars <sighs> tragedy but uh not a fun thing yeah one thing i noticed uh, Nicole's father said that she, he was going to make her this beautiful stage right. lit all with candles and then when he takes her to that barn and has sex with her it's lit all with candles I noticed that like, too oh, it's gross it's so gross she, that, that scene um, where he says you know where he's like I'm going to take you in tomorrow morning um, for your deposition and she's like trying to find a connection with him again mm. is that was the most affecting scene for me this time mm. through because she she doesn't know how to have a relationship with her father now, or he doesn't know how to have one with her when he's not able to have sex with her or, like, try yeah. to make her a, into a rock star. Yeah. And it's like, she's she reaches out to him in that moment, and all he can say is, I'll get you up around 9.30. And then she just you see her turn away and start to tear up, and she just goes back to, okay. Oh. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. That scene... And then that's probably when she decides, like, I'm going to came up yeah. <laughs> and you know i guess good i don't know <laughs> yeah it's like yeah it, it like if you're not really paying attention you could be like wow what a bitch like she just like screwed her father over but it's like when you watch it closer and you like watch their faces as they're interacting and how she's just she's wanting like some sign that like he still like really cares about her like he did before yeah and he can't do it and he can't do it Maybe that speaks to, like, what Ian Holmes' thing is about talking about getting some kind of compensation. Like, somebody has mm -hmm. to pay for this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, since, like, he's probably not going to go to jail or anything, she, you know, she's got... Somebody has to pay. Yeah. And the, this is how she's making him pay for for it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, there is sort of, like, a theme of, like, vengeance. Like, or revenge going through the movie. Like, Ian Holmes' character is definitely motivated by that. Yeah. And I guess at the end, like... You could say that, like, the reason why Sarah Polly or lied was... She doesn't die. She doesn't die. <laughs> is that she wants, like, revenge on, you know, the abuse that her father put her through. Yeah. Yeah. It's dark. I, I had some fun facts about this movie. Sure. That I, um, that I looked up. One is that Donald Sutherland was originally going to play Ian Holmes' role. I read that. And he had to back out, and so this was, like... Uh, kind of a star turn in a way for Ian Holm because I don't think he's I don't know of other movies he did before this he was mostly a stage actor right um well he was an alien oh duh yeah he was the right. android right 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 um he was in from the same year The Fifth Element right yeah. uh, which I actually rewatched after talking to you oh yeah because <laughs> I was like yeah that movie's kind of cool and I have it on Blu-ray so I was like yeah I'm gonna watch it tonight <laughs> does it still hold it still kind of holds oh, up oh right? it definitely holds up yeah. like it's a little stupid French sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like, it has that, like, sort of, like, Jerry Lewis type of humor that, like, I'm allergic to, but uh -huh. for the most part, it's really good. Yeah. Like, even the effects really hold up nicely. Yeah. It's a fun movie. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Ian Holmes and that. And... You don't want to watch that movie with me because I can actually quote along with her. Oh, really? In the Mondachiwin uh, language. Is that language. R is singing? Well, it's, no, no, no. Oh. When, she's, when she's talking in the Mondachiwin. Oh! Mila Jovovich? Yeah. <laughs> She's really good then. Yeah. Um, but so that's a fun fact. It's uh, also Chris Tucker's finest hour. Oh, yeah. Like, he didn't, he'd never match that. None of the rush hours are as <laughs> fine. Not even Friday. <laughs> Not even Friday. Uh, let's see. What was the other thing? Uh, uh, I read that it was number seven on Siskel's movie. Top movies of 1997 and number two on Roger Ebert's. Oh yeah, that's one. So. That seems this seems to be a movie that a lot of critics can agree on. Yeah, it seems they're like, this is not a movie that you recommend to friends, but it's a movie that's important because yeah. you have you have to face these things sure. sometimes. And and I mean, it's a brave choice as a filmmaker, like I was mentioning earlier, to like, and and anybody working on this film to like want to go there for yeah. a period of time. That it takes to make a movie, you know? Yeah. That is not fun. <laughs> no. Yeah, and it, it really, like, because it didn't have, you know, what we kind of associate with drama, like, it didn't have a lot of high-handed monologues. It didn't have a lot of, like, right. soapbox action. Like It doesn't moralize at all. Yeah. No, that's a really good way to put it. Like, yeah, it doesn't grandstand at all. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, if you were an actor, you might not even see, like, a very juicy role for you, but, like... 
you know, just reading the script, but, like, it really turned into, like, one. Yeah. You know, just the way that people would, like, look at one another, you know, just mm-hmm. hand gestures and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, and there's also not a lot of sobbing for a movie about grief, you know? No. There is a little bit here and there, but really it's, like, it's real sustained. And... Yeah, it's pretty sober. Mm-hmm. Also, one more fact that I have about it is that, oh, Russell Banks, who wrote the book, actually went on record saying that he think, he feels that the film was an improvement on his novel. I you know you you were saying earlier that like the movie or the book was uh, had a linear narrative, mm-hmm. and I feel like the non linear narrative like really kind of makes it feel like a whole piece, like yeah. a whole you know move. Like I don't know, I feel like doing it straightforward, it would have just. I don't know, gotten slow or lopsided or yeah. There's something about that. There's something about that choice that's really smart to to break up the the linear the linearness of it. As I get older, I'm really appreciating sort of non-linear narratives. Mm-hmm. Did you see Room? Yes. And like, I don't know what you thought. I personally thought like the movie was solid, but like there was too much time out of the room. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 scenes inside it were so interesting to me. Yeah. And the way that uh, the director, like, Lenny Abramson, kind of, like, builds up to things. Like, in the opening scene, like, you see, like, a shot of the toilet and it doesn't have, like, the lid on it. Right. Um, and then, like, 30, 40 minutes into the movie, it's, like, revealed why. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's so much time out of the room. I almost feel like if they had, like, gone back and forth and, like, drawn parallels uh. to, like, how... The trauma in the room is like leading them to like their adjustments out of the room, sure. like how they can't like reconcile these two worlds, and then especially because like the the climax of like them escaping from the room mm-hmm. like is such a heart stopper, like right. that's like I'm on like the edge of my seat, like I'm rooting for the kid, like I'm hoping, fingers crossed, and then you got like another forty five minutes of the movie that's kind of slow, right. not a lot happens, <laughs> it's a little bit more melodramatic, and I just kind of feel like if they had spliced it in together a little bit more and had them had their escape from the room coincide with uh, them revisiting it for closure Mm -hmm. I don't know I feel like that would have made a more satisfying ending I see what you're saying Uh, it makes it feel a little bit like I mean I think the the point of that movie was sort of like um, how survivors of traumatic events like that like are what happens to them afterwards and how the healing begins um, and in that way, I think it was a good movie. But I think the way you're talking about it now, it almost makes it seem like they made the choice to make the movie the way they did um, because of a gimmick a little bit, you know? Mm. Like, it was... it was Because I think when that movie was marketed, everything... All, all the stuff you saw in the trailer was from the th- first 45 minutes when they're yeah. in the room. Yeah. Um, and so that makes it a, like, gimmicky thing. And then there's, like, this reveal. They're like, oh, they actually get out. So yeah. that could be... I, I like your idea, though. I bet that that would be a totally different movie if they had broken that up. Did you ever see Lenny, Abrams, Lenny Abramson's other movie, Frank? I did, yeah. yeah. I loved Frank. I loved it, too. Actually. Um, and... And, like, what a jump from, like, Frank to Room. Like, yeah. But it also it has, like, another reveal, though, when you think about it. If, if you didn't know already that Michael Fassbender oh, was in that movie. Spoiler yeah, alert! Spoiler alert. You can't uh, tell by his dreamy voice. <laughs> yeah. Bad. Um, He's so dreamy. He is dreamy. Uh, I think that's all my all my fun facts. Yeah, I I didn't write down too many fun facts because I just wanted to talk about like the movie, like how like this is like I don't know. It struck me as like a poem. Like I know that they like read a literal poem. (laughs) It just kind of like struck me as like it was like literal, but not super literal. Like it was more just about like the feelings and the emotions, like transitioning from like one thing to another. And, yeah. You know, I mean really like in like the reveals, like you don't, I don't know how long it is in the movie before you realize that like a school bus crashes. Yeah. I guess I knew that coming in, but they don't, they don't tell you that right away. Do no, they? Like it takes like, it's in, an ambiguous tragedy for a long time. Yeah. Like the first 10 minutes, like, you know, that there's like been an accident. Right. You don't know what it is. And I, it, it might be that you don't know entirely what happened. I don't, yeah. Cause I was watching it with someone and it was when the bus like started sinking. He's like, Oh God, that's what happened. Oh. So, and that's probably like 40, 50 minutes into the movie. Yeah. It's quite a bit in there. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a very interesting point because yeah, I knew that coming into the movie and, um, that if if that's when you find out that that's the tragedy that that must be a real shocking moment. And see someone, you know, you 
you said that like you're not going to tell a friend that like oh we're going to go see this movie where a bunch of school children die in a bus. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I heard about the movie. It's like it's about this town where like the school bus crashes and like and I was like oh man I got to see that movie. <laughs> I, like I like them heavy. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> I mean this this is one of those films that you can't. I mean I can't, I can't recommend it to somebody. I can't be like check this out if you feel like. I mean, I'm glad we're talking about this for the po- I'm glad you made me watch it again, honestly. Yeah. When I watched it the first time, I was like, well, never need to see that again. Uh, but I'm, gl- I'm glad I watched it again. I feel uh, it's it's one of those hard films that you just have to, you just have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's rewarding, but not in a, like, traditional escapist sense, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 I felt a little better in my grief after watching it, if that makes sense at all. Yeah. Uh, it does help. And I don't know why. Because <laughs> not like anyone in that movie feels better by the end of it. No, not really. <laughs> maybe Sarah Polly a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I guess like maybe it was just sort of like when I'm watching the movie, like, because like I, it, I feel it's a very like immersive film. Like, it's one that I can like just sit down and watch and sort of lose myself in. Sure. And maybe like I just like have that like sense of sympathy like with the characters, like. Because it feels like I was sharing my emotions, like, mm. or they were sharing them with me. Yeah, maybe that's why I felt better. Like it kind of felt a little therapeutic, a little cathartic. Yeah. So we've been we've watched a lot of good movies for this podcast so far. I would say four well movies, well made films. Though <laughs> yeah. they're all really well done. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's time for some garbage. Sure. <laughs> Have you ever watched um, American Anthem? No. Okay. Well, I've never even heard of it. That's the movie we're gonna watch. American it's, Anthem. It's from the eighties. It's a gymnastics movie, and it's just terrible. <laughs> Uh, it's directed by the person who directed Purple Rain. I don't oh, remember their name. So God, it's it's bad. Uh, and here, I don't know. I haven't seen this movie in over fifteen years. So four out of ten on IMDb. It could just be bad, bad. <laughs> We're gonna get here next week and just not have anything to talk about. We will find reasons <laughs> to praise it, no doubt. <laughs> I like. I was gonna say I, I felt that like after Sweet Here After we needed a palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I hope this doesn't like. I hope this isn't like Ipecac or something. <laughs> it just makes it worse. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, part of this is we're supposed to sort of show a wide breadth of, yeah. of films, <laughs> and you know, find reasons to enjoy movies that aren't traditional art. Yeah. Because um, I mean, Lord knows I love trash. <laughs> well, I. I hope this is. I hope this doesn't disappoint in that arena. It could. It could just be bad, bad. But we'll see. I don't know. I don't remember it that well. When was the last time you saw it? Probably two, two thousand. Oh, two thousand one. Yeah, a long time ago. Oof. So it and it was just it was on like TBS or something, okay. and I watched it with commercials, which oh was ugh. and then um, at the time I was I had some friends who were doing like mystery science theater. 3000 style oh. um, watching of movies and this this was one I brought to the table Oh, okay. I felt really cool because they were all older than me and I was like here's the movie I've got and I think I think it made an impression on them oh yeah they never asked me back <laughs> <laughs> do you still watch MST3K yeah there's so many online and um, what I really like that's my happy place yeah I don't even need to finish the movie sometimes yeah I can just put it on put one on and like and they don't always make me laugh, you yeah. know, gut busters, but there are some that I just double over crying. And it's usually, like, if they start me chuckling and then, like, are able to keep that momentum going. I mean, they're, they are artists with, like, the running joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one does, like, a running gag the way that those guys do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was watching Puma Man not too long ago <laughs> with Donald Pleasance. And I was, like, I was watching it and I was, like, God, this movie looks so crappy. And it's like, it's so shittily made. And I realized it came out like the same year as Escape from New York. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> and how he always pronounces it, Puma Man. 
Oh man, were you, you were watching the Mystery Science Three Thousand version of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like they say Puma Man. It's you know a man who's like part Puma. <laughs> but it's like they showed us just one word, so the guys keep calling it Pumaman. <laughs> That's good stuff. Are you a bigger? Are you a Joel fan or a Mike fan? I'm a Mike fan. I didn't come into MST3K till like later on. Mm-hmm. Like the show had already like wrapped up essentially. Like by the time I like discovered it, so. right? And Mike was so cute back in the day. That's true. Um, I have a t- I think I lean more towards Joel. Yeah, I like the Joel episodes, just because it tends to be they tend to be not so interested in like packing it full of jokes and mm. also like a little kinder. Oh, okay. I feel like when Mike got in there, it got a little mean. Don't get me wrong, I'll watch a Mike episode like that, but yeah. um, I just if I had to pick one, I think I lean a little more towards Joel. Yeah, I wonder about that. Like, uh, you know, some of these people like probably put their heart and soul into these movies, and they come out like this. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's just like snarky robots, like <laughs> cracking wise, like. Yeah. It's not like a, a Weird Al parody, is it? To have your movie. Yeah, well, it's, it might the... be like an honor to yeah. like have Weird Al cover you. <laughs> this might be like a mark of shame. Yeah, they're they're not they're just being mean, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> but. To hilarious effect. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big fan. Well, follow us on Twitter. Yeah, X-Rated Movies. And Facebook, Rated Rated X X Movies. movies. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you here next week. Tweet at us uh, for G-Rated responses. Uh, You'll want to talk to Ryan. (laughs) For, like, hard NC-17, like, immediately calling you Hitler at the drop of a hat, I will respond. (laughs) Uh, can't wait for those tweets to roll in now. Can't wait.